what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture my name is pat sheen joined as always by my trusty co-host dave martin swagger dave what's going on man not much man just waiting for those four town tickets to go on sale how are we doing <laughs> uh well while, while you're waiting for that i'm uh fully behind lewis hamilton now buying all the gear uh supporting mercedes uh, after yes. binging F1 Drive to Survive, which we will be discussing, as well right as... Right side of history. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to talking about that in a second. We're going to touch on some music, some TV, and some movies today. So before we do, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube.com slash Pod and give us a five-star rating on Spotify. We appreciate you. Dave, let's start with music, though, where... I was perusing the, the new Music Fridays and I take a look and I see that my guy Rex Orange County, who I've come to be a, a decent fan of. I wouldn't say I'm like deep into his his older stuff, but I, I pick and choose a couple of the hits here and there for my my low key, like smooth, relaxing playlist, because that, that's kind of the music that I know him for. Uh if you've listened to Tyler, the creator's flower boy, he was on a few tracks from that, including the opener forward. Um, and uh, I believe he's on the title track on that, right? Uh, boredom as well. Oh, boredom. Yeah, that's right. Good song. Um, and so uh, I was going into this, just thinking we're going to be getting some, you know, upbeat, fun, not really notable songs, nothing too, too outside of Rex Orange County's box. And I, I think we got a lot of that, but I do think there's a little bit more here than I'd heard in some of his past songs. And I, I love, walked away being not only pleased hearing a Tyler feature on this, mm. but also uh, I think I think there it feels like a little bit of growth for Rex coming out of this. And it's, it's set to be one of his uh, his biggest releases ever with uh, probably going to be a number one album in the UK. What did you right. think going into this album? Yeah, so been aware of Rex Orange County for a while. This is the fourth record, second major label album from him, and I don't know how I became aware of him exactly. I think I think just the the recognizable, unique name probably years ago. Like I I feel like I knew who he was or knew the name before the Tyler stuff, but in the interim, he's become quite successful and quite popular he has several big hits and the last record was really successful in the uk and he's still only 23 so he's uh, definitely uh rising talent with an established career at this point pretty impressive um but i've never really had too much of a too much of an opinion of his solo work um i i've kind of treated him a lot like um like like love you know like those kind of like soft pop people that i just feel like they they all kind of sound the same to me but as the stream suggests has a certain appeal i guess it's uh inviting and accessible and uh unobtrusive in all that all that jazz but yeah i um i can't say i i noticed any rex orange county growth but i also am not like running back the the other records enough to really speak to that 
to me, it just kind of sounded more of what, 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 what he's, what he's up to. And I'd imagine it's going to be quite successful to him. I heard one song in particular I thought was definitely an earworm, but, um, yeah, I think this is definitely his lane. He, he knows what he, he knows why he's at this point in his career. Yeah, I think where I heard growth for him, and again, not as someone who I would say is an expert on his catalog, but I've listened to a decent amount of his songs. Um, not only working in more strings on Who Cares, um, and the strings are present in almost every single song on here, which a lot of his hits don't really include that, and I think that really expanded his sound made it sound a little bit more full and also was able to pull in some more emotion to what he was going for but i i feel like this is just more consistent straight through with some of the songs i've heard you know i think uh, my experience with rex orange county is i'll hear a song that will really catch catch my ear something like always or loving is easy with um benny sings and those songs just get stuck in your head they're very like bubblegum soft pop like you were talking about and then i'll be like oh, i want to go listen to the rest of his stuff <laughs> a lot of it from, from the past i just really was like eh, you know that, that's not as as catchy as the other song or it doesn't really grab me the same way i felt like this album pretty consistently held my attention and uh i felt like most of the songs were at least catchy uh if not pretty good overall so i was pleasantly uh i, I guess i was I don't know if surprised, but I was really pleased uh, with with what Rex put out there. You said at one song caught your, caught your ear. What was that? Yeah, that would be amazing off this mm. new album. That one just quite groovy, has a really catchy hook, and I could definitely see that one having a long tail for sure. Yeah, I think amazing was one of the standouts. I I do feel like the beginning of this album caught my attention a bit more than the back half. Like, I think Keep It Up into Open a Window with Tyler into Worth It and then Amazing is a great opening four-song run. Um, something like uh, 7 a.m. I also thought was pretty interesting. Um, again, kind of relying on some strings to pull in like a more like a full sound to it. And really just, again, like you mentioned, that grooviness, something you can kind of just put on and like relax to, chill out to boost your mood to and i think overall i'm not going to be coming back to this <laughs> i'm not going to be coming back to who cares at the end of the year and being like groundbreaking <laughs> album not something i'm gonna really remember but i had a couple of tracks i i think i'm gonna throw onto a relaxing playlist it'll pop up every once in a while and i'll enjoy it. and that's what benny or not benny, <laughs> that's what rex orange county is to me at this point so right uh yeah uh, i'm not, not gonna fault him for it at all um, any last thoughts? Obviously, cool to see the uh, relinking up with Tyler, the creator. In general, always glad to see Tyler, no matter what he's up to. But thought that was a pretty solid verse. Honestly, didn't uh, yeah, didn't didn't phone in. Sounded good. Yeah, especially because uh, for his demo, probably not going to be a, a verse many of his fans just find organically. So totally, he very much could have mailed that in, but definitely didn't. And we're going to put uh, probably amazing onto our Nostalgia Best of 2022. So check that out on Spotify. Dave, I finally did it. You know, a couple of years back, uh, when you started getting into F1, we, we made a promise to each other, right? And that was that we would give each other a homework assignment and we would watch it. And you said, you got to watch F1 Drive to Survive. 
Uh, I waited till now to do it. And I told you, you have to watch. I think you should leave. And I think you checked out an episode or so. So hmm. we're, we're copacetic at this. I'll point. watch the next season. Don't worry. <laughs> Keep kicking that can down the road. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I threw on F1 drive to survive and I was like, Oh, I thought this was just like the first couple episodes. Maybe we'll get some more as things season four. Uh, season four, no, just completely dropped on March 11th. And I was like, ah, I'll, I'll skip around on this. Nope, sucked me right in. Uh, binged the whole thing on the weekend. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but mostly yeah. just how the hell is anyone a, a Red Bull and Max Verstappen fan? That's where I got to <laughs> start with this, dude. Fuck that guy. Fuck that team. Leave the comments. The fucking the Dutch, the Dutch are mad. But I don't care. Yeah, this is uh I'm I'm glad to see that you watch, and I think this is presents an interesting perspective because you do not watch Formula One and you just watch all of Drive to Survive. This has largely been and I recently, last year, was in your boat. However, after watching Drive to Survive seasons one through three, I became a Formula One fan and watched the entire season. Now, purists, longtime Formula One fans have, you know, mixed thoughts on Drive to Survive fans, as we are called. However, it's definitely uh, boosting the popularity of the sport in North America. Ratings were up like 40% in the U.S. in 2021. You really can't deny that. They just added a second race in Miami coming up in May. But I I think like it's just hard to deny that this kind of documentary series about a sport, individual athletes, probably specifically, is just super compelling when you have all the narrative drama and personalities that a sport like Formula One has. And I really just hats off to, I think, the box-to-box films, the production company that has made this series, because it's just really ripe for this kind of treatment. And box-to-box films is now also developing a similar series for golf and tennis, which I think both also fit this well. But the world of Formula One, I think, is just really cool to see portrayed this way. And I have a, I have a unique relationship to the season four, because now that I've seen the season or the, the season of sport already, I, I just keep looking at like stuff that was left out. I already know the story, you know. So it, to me, it wasn't quite as gripping as it was the first time around when I watched seasons one to three when I didn't know anything. But I, I still think it's really cool to uh, just kind of like see that behind the scenes and, and get all those confessionals and everything. So why did why do you think season four? Why why did it uh, bring yeah. you in as someone who had not been paying attention to F one? I mean, I was watching this like a basically just like a reality TV show. You know, it has the elements of yeah. a, a really good one, which is there's built-in inherent drama between all of these teams and uh you know uh Verstappen and Lewis and um the Toto and uh the the Red Bull guy yeah Horner like there's just so much like built-in drama right there just in this chase between these two teams Mm -hmm. um I think the series obviously thrives the most when it's focusing on the drama between them and um you know, uh, I think it naturally kind of divides people, the, these two teams, which is also yeah. obviously great. It's like the Red Sox and Yankees or oh my god, any of those great rivalries. Social um, media was a fucking wasteland last season <laughs> between Mercedes <laughs> and Red Bull fans. 
<laughs> I can only imagine. Um, but you know what, what was really great about it was um, if you were coming just to see some amazing scenery of Europe, it's a great travel documentary. Uh, the way it's shot, it's absolutely gorgeous. When they're going around, what was it, Monaco? Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, uh, one of the most beautiful like scenes just driving around with uh, i forgot which driver it is but yeah leclerc and signs the yeah. ferrari boys driving around yeah. Leclerc's like yeah there's my first school <laughs> yeah just incredible stuff um you know that you see them like going out in the water at times and mm-hmm. just like making fun of rich people who can't afford huge yachts and just have like regular size sailboats there just uh <laughs> amazing stuff and and then i think what is interesting if you're a sports fan is the the strategy of like team building and like how you uh, like (laughs) i think putting yourself in the shoes of like the teammates who aren't at the top someone like the the second car for mercedes uh yeah yeah Yeah. valtteri botas george russell who they gonna pick for lewis's teammate next year so much so much built-in just drama and uh, really like thoughtful stuff that if you're a sport fan, I think makes sense. If you're watching just to kind of enjoy drama in general, makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the ending is just totally polarizing. I do have to say as, as someone who's not a F1 fan, I was all in until the very end. I, I felt like that, that decision in some way kind of like marred the outcome of the season for me very mm-hmm. controversial. And then talking to you seems like it wasn't just me who saw it that way. Um, and I was, I was a little bit disappointed and felt like, ah, it feels, it feels a bit like the intervention of, uh, the, the judge there was it Massey yeah. or Michael Massey, the race director. Yeah. Um, and then, and then his dismissiveness to, to Toto afterwards just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Kind of like, ah, it feels like Verstappen didn't actually win this, you know? So I know tough overall ending, but really, really fun season to follow. Yeah. And that's the thing is this is the first season in a long time where there's been a genuine title fight literally down to the final race tied in points for the driver's championship. Um, I think that's why there was so much hype about this season of drive to survive because in the past, this whole turbo hybrid era has just been dominated by Mercedes and dominated by Lewis. So to have someone actually challenge and push Lewis and obviously they shouldn't have Max shouldn't have actually won, but he almost won and he's, you know, worthy of winning under normal circumstances. Obviously, the the the, the proof is in the the racing. You know, he won ten times last year, but this season Drive to Survive actually has even more of a focus, I think, on the Mercedes versus Red Bull of it all because it was such a dominating force in the season, especially at the end. And that's actually where I was a little disappointed because I thought they just there's just so much meat on the bone things they left out. They kind of skip over some of like the early like Mercedes coming back and Lewis kind of like chopping down Max's lead and we pick it back up in Saudi Arabia a second to last race where there's there's more controversy between them you know crashing and um and then of course in Dhabi Dhabi at the end there so like I couldn't help but just be disappointed that we didn't see the Brazil stuff at Interlagos portray where like because because that's like something like when I when it happened in real life I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing in the Netflix show where Lewis gets dinged for like a, um, 
regulation thing with his car and he has a, has a hard penalty and the engine penalty on top of that sprint race format he has to make up like he makes up like 15 spots for qualifying and he still wins the race when that you do the race it was a crazy thing where at the time we thought like lewis's title shots are probably done there's no way he can win this race he needs to win this race and he wins the race and they just completely like, gloss over it and they're like oh, and lewis wins at brazil it's like <laughs> there was so much about lewis winning at brazil that just isn't on this series and i thought that would have been really cool to show people that uh didn't you know see it happen when it happened but yeah um was there anything like outside of Lewis first max of the season that uh, stood out to you? You mentioned um, the Mercedes deciding who to pair with Lewis, you know, Russell or Botas. You mentioned that anything else stand out? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of the stuff at Botas, I mean, it just feels like he's a driver who, if he's on any other team could have, could be a number one easily and yeah. you know, potentially exactly. uh, pushing for wins. So it's a little tough to see them pick George over, over them, but I guess it's kind of, similar to like a MLB team uh, picking yeah. a prospect over a, a vet kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with the decision. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was the right call. There's a lot of hype for George this year. George won F3 and won F2 in his first seasons there. He's considered like one of the best, if not the best of this young crop of guys. He just hasn't been in a Ferrari like Leclerc. He's been stuck at Williams during a really bad time at Williams. So we'll see. You know, and I, I think they reminded you of how he did at um when he filled in for Lewis in 2020 when Lewis had COVID, like the talents there. But yeah, it's hard not to feel bad for for Botas, who's been in Lewis's shadow the whole time, and you know has to do the team order stuff, which they reiterated once again. It's just like now he's the thing is they didn't even mention this in the in the season. He he he's at Alfa Romeo now. He he got a new new gig. And he's yeah. number one, and he has a multi-year deal for the first time. He had been on one-year deals every year at Mercedes. They, I wish they, we had more time, and they could have glossed over that, because Botas seems like super at peace coming into this year about being at Alpha, even though Alpha is a significantly worse team and less competitive team than Mercedes. Exactly. So they, we just didn't get that, you know? And um, yep. in, in past seasons, they would talk about like what happened to people. Like um, They had an Alex Albon uh, episode, and at the end, like Alex lost his seat for uh you know 2021 like we didn't have any of that kind of stuff this year i thought that was kind of odd but they didn't mention who replaced george at williams which is album coming back like um stuff like that i thought it was a little, a little strange just because like if you want to tell the story of the season i think there's again i think there's just a lot of stuff that uh, should be told like uh, th- this series uh, you you probably didn't even notice but I mean, there were two teams that are just not in this season there's alfa romeo alfa romeo's not there which is particularly notable because Kimi Raikkonen retired this year, the longest running racer ever. He had the most starts ever, former world champion. He retired. I understand why they didn't have it in the series because he hates talking to the press. He hates doing all that shit. So I get it. But also, Aston Martin is uh, not there at all. You see Vettel like for a split second, but like, so like this is leaving out two teams, I guess, because there's not really much of a narrative to to try and weave into the season. I guess I understand it, you know. Um, we get a lot of time with Yuki Sonoda, which I thought was pretty yeah. cool because I think he has a specific story, obviously coming from Japan as a rookie, having like a bit of a culture shock. And like I think they did a good job of like explaining like they had to move him basically from England to Italy to get better performance yeah. out of him and just make him more professional, which yep. is what people were saying at the time. And it bore out and his results got better. Did you like uh, the Yuki stuff? I-, I thought that was interesting. Honestly, I, th- I think... 
um ju- just based on where i was at in my binge that day i was kind of fading yeah. on it a little bit but um also uh, i think i was kind of at that point expecting to hear something from verstappen you know i kind of yes. thought i was right. going to hear him you know get his own episode and it just never happened he just didn't want to be on the show not want to be on the show he thinks it uh twists narratives and isn't isn't real and stuff and obviously they spin they they, they spin a story on drive to survive and most people involved in f1 acknowledge that but also speak to the benefits of the series but max is just kind of curmudgeon about it and of course this is the year where be anything but but I, you could tell during press throughout the year he hated talking about all his collisions with lewis he hated all the drama he's I just think he's a kind of shitty personality, honestly, for a superstar athlete. Like he's like, he just kind of like is a dick, you know, versus Lewis has been famous for so long and is like super great about talking about himself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Lewis comes across just so, I mean, exactly like he wanted champion to be. He's level headed. He's always calm. It seems like Um, he's very likable, obviously. And I, I don't know if they touch on it in earlier seasons, but him being, you know, the, the only black racer in yeah. the whole thing is, is obviously something that I think is notable. And, and I wonder if it's a narrative that they choose not to actively talk about or just haven't. Yeah, it was bigger last season for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask you as a, a fan, uh, obviously there's a lot that you're like, huh, I wonder why they didn't include that. But was there anything that you saw that you either didn't know about or you were like, yeah. oh, wow, that was great to see. Yeah, so definitely, I think overall, I was definitely like noting stuff that I like was left out just because easier to remember. But there, there was like a moment or two that I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." I didn't know that. And one of them actually randomly was the episode about Haas. Obviously, the the the, the last place team that didn't develop the car. They went into twenty twenty one expecting to be worse because they just didn't try and be anything but worse because they were saving money for this year, new regulations, all that stuff. But we still got an episode about Haas. I think it's good because Gunther Steiner, their principal, like, you know, Haas's version of Toto and Horner, Steiner is just like hilarious. And I, I, I find him so funny. And having him talk about Haas and how about their struggle, I'm always here for. But there was one moment, um, you know, when Mazepin uh, was talking about uh, the race in Russia, you know, his home, his home race. And yeah. he talked about how like, he saw the clouds. And he's like, when I would leave school, when I saw those clouds, it was always going to rain. So I knew that it was definitely going to rain, and thus we <laughs> need the inter tires. And I was like, oh wow, I didn't know that that uh, Mazepin made the call there on the wets early, which definitely helped pretty, him. That's pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty cool, actually. I, I I didn't note that in my brain, but that is an interesting <laughs> point. Uh, you know, I think that is one one piece where it's a little bit hard for me to get fully into the sport only because like if the car is just better, it just gives such an advantage, you know? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It's kind of like you have like various battles, like your team at the front, your team right behind the front, your midfield, and then your back markers. And it's kind of like narratives and stories about all those individual components. I think just for me in general too, it's like seeing the, learning more about the sport once you watch it like for what gets me really excited is like seeing the strategy and trying to see if like can lewis pull this out and win with max in front can lewis hold off max who's trying to do the same thing like kind of seeing how it all comes out it's really a big game of chess for teams especially when teams are um 
of equal playing field. And I think the Williams episode in season four did a good job of showing how teams that don't have the technical advantage can try and play their own game of chess to try and, you know, score ground. And that was like a big thing that Yos Capito was like trying to do with Williams is like, our car isn't good enough on merit. We have to find other ways to try and score. And I think it's kind of like the whole package you kind of have to be absorbed in. But yeah, I mean, like you, it's not like a real, a normal sport. Like I'm a Haas fan. I'm always a Haas fan. Cause like, well, you can't just be a Haas fan because right. Haas is just going to come in last this year. <laughs> so obviously you need to have other things to pay attention to and like, so I think in general, F1 seems, especially nowadays, you know, with social media and stuff, everyone's simply a driver sport. People really like the personalities and stuff. Like, like Leclerc is like super popular, even though he hasn't won in two years, you know, like I think that kind of thing is the way you kind of have to approach it because once you do it that way, it's like all kinds of other sport and in documentary right. series, like all kinds of reality TV, personalities, drama, narrative, you know, storyline like it's everything else you want is all there you just kind of have to i guess find the way to grasp it you know yeah it's kind of unique but i think what the reason i like it more than say like like other forms of racing is that there's only 10 teams there's only 20 drivers there's a limited amount of people involved i think that's what's cool because you really kind of understand everyone there yeah no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to look at it that way because when, when it comes down to it, sports are becoming more and more about the players and people being yeah. fans of individual players rather than teams. So uh, definitely a fun watch. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be an F1 fan after this, but I'll probably be a fan of the series. So uh, I'm looking forward to whatever's next and obviously hearing your updates on the weekends. When does the season start back up? Like a week or so, right? Uh, this weekend. Yeah. Wow. So obviously you're not watching this one. Getting you're you're uh, getting married this weekend, yes. so you cannot watch the Bahrain Grand Prix. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kicking right off, and uh, it goes until uh, the end of the year, uh, more or less. So I think that's the other thing too. It's like they only race like two or three times a month in season, so it's not like that hard to keep up with anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think season four overall, it's probably it wasn't quite as compelling for me. Not quite as sure if that's just because I know too much now or that it just they just cut it in a different fashion. But overall, the, like, the one thing I wanted to see was how they treated the controversy at the end of the year at Abu Dhabi with Max and Lewis. And I thought they presented that fairly and objectively. You know, Will Buxton, the journalist, just explaining broadly, uh, you know, out in the open what happened and why it benefited Max and why it was unusual. Only Max. Just, just completely said said it is what it is so mm-hmm. i liked how they treated that the other thing i was looking forward to or, or interested in was how they were going to talk about mazepin because nikita mazepin is no longer in f1 and because of his father's ties to putin as a uh. russian oligarch and mazepin was only really in f1 because of his dad's money he was a you know bad driver in f2 not not good enough to get to F1 on merit. He was there because of funds. And they had a whole big thing about how his dad was basically bankrolling the team last year for this year, where Haas will get back up, you know, back back off the back foot. Mazepin's gone. And they just didn't acknowledge it at all, even though it happened about two weeks ago. So whatever. Um, that was the other thing I was looking looking forward to seeing how they treated it, just because it's a very unique situation to have yeah. something like that come up 
but I guess I just wanted to keep the political implications out of it. And maybe next year's season, they'll actually note it. Who knows? But yeah, uh, I know. Oh. I know you said that they're doing this for golf. Could you ever see them doing anything like this for, like, uh, you know, one of the four major sports in the United States? I don't think I mean, so. Like, I think I think there's too many people. You know, yeah. like a baseball team. There's just too many, too many people. Like, and right. like, like there you do hard knocks with football. Like, I don't know That's how you do that, something yeah. different. You know, like I think yeah. big teams, it doesn't quite fit. Yeah, no, it's it's just so compelling. And baseball needs something like this because, mm. I mean, we're <laughs> they pretty much tried to kill the, the, themselves with this uh, collective bargaining agreement fiasco yeah. and the lockout. So, uh, needs needs some sort of rejuvenating. I don't want to lose baseball, but, uh yeah, I, I think you're right. Big big teams not meant for this style, but definitely check out Formula One Drive to Survive. Even if you're not a fan, I think you'll like it. Let's stay on TV, though, and moving to Amazon, where Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 4 concluded. Uh, you know, Notably, this is uh, the second, the, the penultimate season. Um, we're getting... Uh, I don't know. A lot of the same stuff, and it is. It feels like maybe some stuff moving in in different directions. But I guess maybe we'll just start with overall. Did you enjoy this fourth season of of the series that we used to love so much? Yeah, I did. And it's like you said, it's not like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is doing anything different. It's really not doing anything different. And for a lot of people, that's been a negative post season one. But I think this is my second favorite season of the series because I just thought like, even though it was kind of familiar, most of it, I thought that it was just all pretty high level as far as the show is concerned. And I just generally enjoyed my time with a lot of those subplots and, and the main plot and stuff. So I did like it, but it isn't reinventing the Maisel wheel. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I, I, I did really enjoy the season. There just were were some things that I kind of just felt like uh, the show feels like it's really like just biding time, spinning its wheels, uh, not really trying to go in any direction. It felt a bit unfocused at times. Now, mm. where that unfocused direction took us was, I think, some some fun little adventures, some some fun little side plots. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh it's a bit frustrating because I, I don't know if I see the the vision with some of it, like the uh, the stuff with with Midge and um, oh man, what's her name? Not not Susie, the tall blonde one. Uh, uh, Sophie Lennon, played by Sophie. Jane yeah, I was gonna say Susie. It's Sophie uh, with Sophie coming back. Just felt so like ah, okay. I guess we have to pull this back in, and I, I understand it's I guess setting up some sort of probably overall showdown between. Susie and Sophie and Midge in season five, but felt a bit superfluous. Wasn't really sure why that needed to even come back in the season. Uh, you know, you, you get some, some fun stuff with Lenny Bruce who kind of like pops in and out. But again, at times I was like, I either just want them to do it or not at this point, because it's like, will they won't, they was pretty frustrating. And that, that, that definitely paid off. Um, but <laughs> I think overall, I just ended up kind of being like, Okay, where did this where did this season move us to? And if nothing right. else, it's just a hang kind of show at this point, which wasn't where what I thought it was going to be in season one. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is like having Majors 
Mages having Midge's career completely stall this season post what happened with Shy Baldwin and having Midge not really at any time put herself in a position to unstall her career, that is just going to make it feel like the treadmill for right. the show. And I think I just took more enjoyment out of other stuff because, like, okay, well, Midge's career, like, they've kind of just hammered home the point that, like, Midge is like arrogant and overconfident and wants all this creative control even though she hasn't accomplished anything like they kind of like made that super clear at this point so i'm not even like that invested or like rooting for that to change at this point it's just like all the other stuff like like seeing luke kirby as lenny again Mm -hmm. getting a lot of lenny who's like a series regular this time around like you said they pay off the will they won't they they pay off the sexual attention finally but they also have lenny do or uh, kirby do like yeah. bits and pieces of bruce's iconic 1961 carnegie hall stand-up set mm-hmm. and at the end of that you have this the showdown like the standoff between midge and uh, uh lenny and i thought that was handled the stage really of well. carnegie hall yeah, I thought that was handled super well. I thought that was written really good. Um, Kirby really affecting as Lenny, just making like a passionate plea to Midge to take her career in a different direction. Uh, I think, you know, they really paid off their, their relationship to this point, which largely had been played for, more for laughs than anything else. But like, I think the emotional beats really hit at the end of the season. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I loved that that final confrontation between them um and and it felt really earned like 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 i think you were saying um i think when when it comes to luke kirby he absolutely kills this role and uh it was awesome to see him like doing the stand-up as lenny bruce and seeing the the reaction to it all and just kind of seeing like carnegie hall at that time and, and with all the people in like period garb was definitely very cool um <laughs> i i was like thinking about like where like what do i want to actually happen between them in the end so there's obviously no shot that they end up together lenny bruce famously overdoses i think just a few years from when right this is being- and they do allude to that i think kind of tactfully yeah. as well that he's using absolutely so um you know, it, it's like a, a mentor lover type of thing. And, and it seems like that conversation, obviously, Midge takes it to heart with where, you know, seeing the sign that says go forward when it's the Gordon Ford show um, at the end. Um, and the the show is really at its best when it's it's whirring and moving. You know, I think about like the scenes that really stood out to me the most, like Midge getting the uh the stripper joint in into shape like whipping the whole place up and like running around talking moving that type of thing that that or like Susie when she's in her office and has a million different things going on and she's just kind of navigating quick talking all these different conversations quick one-liners that's when the show to me is the most fun and um captivating I think when the season really felt like it was kind of spinning its wheels to me, it was like the stuff with, with Moist, um, you know, <laughs> having the heart attack at the end of the season. While there were some really wonderful, heartfelt moments that paid off from that, it also kind of felt like, do I really want to be in this hospital with May and Joel right now? Like, do I really want to be yeah. seeing this? Do I really care about, like, 
who's going to be the kids like stepmom and like what they what their that dynamic is i don't and like a lot of the stuff with may i felt like that no offense to that actress but i felt like she really took a step back this season almost like there's that Mm -hmm. scene where she tells joel that she's pregnant and she's like i'm a doctor i'm a doctor and i just like had to like cover my eyes i felt like that was a really difficult scene to get through um yeah that that was probably my least favorite part i would also say i don't don't think the show has proven itself capable of handling the racial dynamic that it acknowledges it's like these very particular uh jewish family will have some thoughts about marrying a non-jewish uh chinese woman and like the show is like points that out to you but i just don't know if like they know how to handle that and they don't actually try and tackle it in the season at all they've kicked the can down the road so we'll see i guess um but yeah like abe's speech of for moish if he had actually died i thought that was like really great and tony shalhoub was awesome in that so like that kind of like saved that whole that whole like plot for me yeah in the end um but earlier like I really like having Jason Alexander uh, come back and cameo. Yeah. I thought he was just really funny. And all the stuff with Rose and like the matchmaker mafia throughout the scene, yeah. I thought was like really, r- really funny. Yeah, the, um, the Godfather references throughout was yeah, just a totally, nice touch. Totally. Um, and, then, and then, like, you know, I didn't like, like seeing Midge perform for Jackie Kennedy and crew and having that go oh completely wrong. It makes complete sense for her arc, how it had been going. Which is like cool to see stuff like that too. Um, yeah. With, yeah, with that scene, I didn't, I didn't realize where it was going. Like, because mm-hmm. when we started telling the story, I was like, "Oh, this this will play for last." And then, uh, I'm, like, the way it turns, and you just hear the crying, and you're like, "Oh!" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess Mitch just like totally unaware of of that. Yeah, I don't uh, think how it probably wasn't super public information at the at that time. Point. Yeah, not sure. He wasn't president yet, so yeah. I yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that's where it was typically going to go, but more like, oh, that was just like over the line for these mm-hmm. this this class of women, you know, women. They're like, they don't want to hear that kind of raunchiness. That's where I thought it was going, but right. then it actually got much more specific about uh, Jack. So, alas, uh, yeah, how did you feel about Susie this season? Susie uh, Myerson actually, and Associates. I thought this was Susie's strongest season. Yeah. by far um for me I, I like i was saying i think some of my favorite scenes were when Susie is kind of like finding her stride in and you know separate from mitch um the stuff where you know she's encouraging the, the magician to like stick with his act and like how she really believes in him or uh finding the the black comic with her secretary who she wants to fire then choose her yeah. to and that that whole <laughs> dynamic was really great and yeah i thought alex borstein this season was just phenomenal getting a little bit more screen time and right. uh well just a lot more meat on the bone for her so i loved her i get the sense you felt the same yeah i agree i, I thought everything once it started to roll together like her with the office and like all her associates and contacts and stuff you know like the mob guys and her her secretary and I think that's all working really well. But like you said, the Borstein performance is like super strong. But just there's a lot of like, I think, meaningful like plots with Susie independent or at least a little bit removed from Midge that makes it feel more meaningful for the character. I also thought the stuff with uh, Jackie's death was done really well, which is 
you know, basically a tribute to the actor, uh, Brian uh, Terradina, I believe, who mm-hmm. actually had um, uh, passed away in 2019 uh, due to an overdose. I thought it was a really like warm gesture from the show to kind of write that in, why he's no longer on the series. But just a great, you know, moment from Susie as well. Yeah, definitely a great moment. And um, I, I thought it was a great way to kind of set up where she's going, because as you can see in the, the acts that she has, you know, Midge, a female comic at the time who is difficult and has the potential to kind of rise up. But female comics, not very uh, common at that point, other than Sophie, obviously. And then she, right. you know, a black comic, uh, a magician, like finding all these people i do have to say just going back to the magician real quick the scene where um rose gets hypnotized and does her whole act i thought that was absolutely phenomenal that and the um the ferris wheel scene were probably two of my my favorites of the whole series just absolutely hysterical and we mentioned this when we talked about the premiere but the whole bit about them changing uh ethan's birthday is perhaps (laughs) the funniest thing they've ever done like i was legitimately dying i thought that was hilarious it just wasn't a convenient time for us yeah well it wasn't Um, convenient for your mother either yeah i also really liked uh uh, abe as a a critic at the village voice you know and the whole fallout of him trashing uh a community member's play and getting all the hate in uh in temple as a result Mm -hmm. just Abe is just like such a great time, whether he's yeah. doing like meaningful stuff or completely meaningless things. It doesn't matter at all. Like the Tony Shalhoub performance is like just so finely tuned. Yeah. And I thought Rose also like, you know, so it's, she's kind of been more up and down, I think, as like an individual character. But I thought it was a good Rose season as well. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, I mean, I think as we kind of get down to it, there's a lot that we liked. I think the the show is moving in some sort of direction for the finale any anything you it, anywhere you expect it to go anything you want to see in this last season coming up the only thing i don't want to see is uh midge getting back together with joel with with joel yeah don't fucking do that please i think it's gonna happen i know i, I think so too <laughs> i think because lenny's happen. gonna die the stuff with May won't work out for the obvious reasons, and they'll just come back together. Yep. And that's just a big old blot of me. Mm-hmm. Other than that, whatever, you know? Yeah. She doesn't uh, need to become like Joan Rivers for me right. on the series. It doesn't need to go that far. But, ah, man, if she, I just would like to see her and Joel, like, move forward, connected for, you know, that they share ch- children, but, like, separate. Please be separate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh i agree i don't really want to see that um i'm trying to think if there's anything i do want to see i i suppose it seems like midge is probably going to make some pitch to the uh the gordon ford show mm. so you know uh, m- maybe seeing her do a little bit more of her like traveling kind of like the the shy baldwin but playing like some big theaters around the united states not croatia that can only turn their power on once every week yeah. um and yeah, you know, I think other than that, I kind of just want to I want to see some propulsion in Midge's career uh, to feel like, like there's a little bit of payoff uh, or if they go in the opposite direction, Midge just kind of putters out and like decides to be a you know, Jewish mother on the Upper East Side, which kind of was her fate to begin with. I would be OK with that, too. I just want to see it go in one direction and not just stay in the middle. So, yeah. 
Um, real quick, See? just want to say, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino brought back uh, Milo Ventimiglio and yeah. um, who is the matchmaker? Ma- Who's the mom from uh, Gilmore Girls? I'm forgetting her name. Oh, right I, I, I didn't recognize her. I, I, I'm not too familiar with Gilmore Girls. Yeah. But uh, the, the Milo stuff was great. I love that. I think he's credited as handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just fantastic. Um, sorry, her name is Kelly Bishop, of course, mm-hmm. uh, who played like the the head of the the five families there, the one whose husband is dead. Um, but I, I thought that was just a, a little too much uh, Gilmore Girl cameo for one episode. I wish they had spread that out a little bit because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is just a lot of, a lot of Gilmore Girls right now. But um it, it was it was nice seeing both of them back in. and Kelly Bishop getting some a lot of work on Netflix. I believe she was in another show. Um, I can't remember which one recently. So good luck for her. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, well, uh, how effective this final fifth and final season is, I think, will really color in how I feel about this series overall. Because I do look at season four as like a soft rebound season relative to seasons two and three. So season five kind of continues this and has a moderately satisfying ending. I'll look on the show pretty fondly, but you know, the season one highs and I guess like the, the hopes for the series probably have been dashed at least a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah, definitely not going to be what we felt like it could have been, but still satisfying when, when it finds its groove. So. Why don't we say on net? Uh, why don't we say on streaming at least and go to Netflix, where the Adam Project dropped this past weekend. Mm. Uh, the Adam Project obviously uh, dropped. We were we were all waiting for uh, Ryan Reynolds, Jennifer Gardner, Zoe Saldana, Mark Ruffalo. I mean, how could how could the, all those people make a bad movie? Dave, did they make a bad movie? It's not a great movie. <laughs> yeah, this this is the second uh, Sean Levy, Ryan Reynolds film in as many years, obviously coming off the very successful Free Guy that they made together. Now you have The Adam Project, the film that they both kind of resurrected from development hell. At one point, Tom Cruise was supposed to be in this movie written a while ago. And they'll continue their relationship soon because Levy seems to be circling Deadpool 3, which is getting some traction. Mm. Which, Levy, not too experienced in R-rated stuff, but hard to deny the creative chemistry he seems to be developing with Ryan Reynolds. So, why not? But yeah, The Adam Project, not something I think anyone was super clamoring for investing. On the other hand, original, blockbustery fair science fiction movie always commendable that something got made original that they spent a semblance of a budget on. So I give it all that kind of credit too. But yeah, I, uh, I think this is like kind of like a weird, like Ryan Reynolds cocktail, this movie where, whereas I, I enjoyed free guy and I really appreciated like the gaming culture and all the, all the beats it had and breaking the fourth wall. I, I quite enjoyed free guy. This and I even I even liked him in Red Notice, even though Red Notice also a middling movie. Like I, I I liked Red Notice, sue me. But like the Adam Project, I feel like this is like almost taking the wrong lessons, or at least taking the Ryan Reynolds overall a little bit too far. 
like when you have like the little kid really laying down like Ryan Reynolds banter, I know he's supposed to be the same character, but having the the, the little kid, the, the kid actor, also just trying to act like Ryan Reynolds for me it was like too much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I found myself at certain points this movie being like, this is some of the dumbest shit. I feel like I've watched recently and then other points being like, Oh, that was actually pretty good. I kind of liked that. It's like such a mishmash of so many different genres. Exactly. Right? You got the father and son, you got the sci-fi action thriller. You have the like dead, dead wife, dead dad type stuff going on. And then you have the, the hero little kid movie going on. It's just like such an amalgamation at some point. Exactly. Just like, How many cliches are we going to kind of put into this? And I didn't feel like they did particularly any of them really that great. I guess the sci-fi looked okay at points, although the the, the de-aging on, um, what's her name, Catherine Keener or something like that? Yeah, Catherine Keener was a little off-putting at at points. Um, uh, So I don't know. (laughs) It didn't totally work for me. But um, I guess I just kind of left being like, that movie is a lot. And when you Mm -hmm. talk about this being like the epitome of Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds is a lot. And so if you're going to lean into him being the star and building the whole movie around him, I guess we got what they wanted. I think a lot of people will like this movie to be a mindless, like turn your brain off and just kind of enjoy the the fake lightsabers and the time travel aspect and like the one liners. But overall, I just kind of like, why did Mark Ruffalo do this? Like, I get why Ryan Reynolds did it. Why would like some of these better actors sign on for this? Well, on the other hand, like when Z- when Soldana shows up, you know, uh, I think I believe Led Zeppelin we'll was see. roaring, right? Yeah, like, oh, they had, they had good music drops. Yeah, when when she shows up, like she has her intro into the movie, I was like, oh, you know what? It's great to see her without green face paint for once. You know, good actor, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, oh, and and, and I, I I'm for this double for Mark Ruffalo. Also nice to not see him green. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> They're working, <laughs> but yeah, like, good, good point. But like, I, you, you, I think, yeah, you said it uh, the way I, and I said it too. Like, the I think the mixture is just wrong with this film. Like, it's like the the sci-fi dystopian future stuff is just super undefined and like way too nebulous for a movie that has like this much like hard sci-fi in it. And yep. I think the action actually isn't bad. I think it looks good, but like, or at least looks good enough. Like it's well lit, you know, but like the story, like it's just so much exposition that like at, at Ryan Reynolds mile a minute dialogue, it's like, like it's really hard to follow. And like the kid also is doing the same kind of dialogue back to him. So it's like, it's like a lot to follow, even though it's not complicated. It's not like some intricate thing. But it's just like they're communicating it in a, in a weird way, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I like the beginning more because like that's that's at its most conventional, right? Like you go on the chase, mm-hmm. and uh, Saldana does like the last stand, sacrifices herself so they can escape. Like I, I enjoyed that stuff. That's fine, you know. Having Zoe like shoot a machine gun at the dudes and blow up their car and stuff. I'm like, yeah, cool. I've seen this before, but it's fine. But the wholesome moments, you know, with like once once the dad comes comes back and the frail ruffle shows up, it's like a lot of that too was just a little bit up and down, you know, like it's pretty thankless 
Jennifer Garner turn, even though they're really trying to like hit you with some like family beats there. So, you know, it's all right, but I, it's, it's like weirdly like, it's not ambitious, but like, it's like muddled in like a mixed up cocktail to suggest it's super ambitious. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. I mean, there, there are some moments I definitely liked. I, I do think Walker Scoble, uh, basically being told to do a Ryan Reynolds impression does a yeah. pretty good job. So good I was, him. yeah, I was pretty impressed with him. Um, like you said, I think a lot of stuff with Saldana, like the action scenes with her, um, the, just injects an energy into things. And I, and I think Ruffalo gets some nice moments. I think Jennifer Gardner, uh, very thankless role just kind of being like the the sad mom in all of this i guess gets a nice like scene with ryan reynolds at that bar but i don't know that 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 kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies at times like weird vibes because i think she thought the guy was like hitting on her which (laughs) just a strange thing to think about but um yeah Yeah, you know to the future basically (laughs) yeah yeah, uh great great Oh, yeah, great great point with what they were going for now that i think about it anyways uh the biggest like nothing burger in this whole thing had to have been christos right alex malari jr just kind of like showing up to be the the guy like Catherine keener's right hand man who just like yeah, kicks ass all the time and then just gets murked like super easily at the end i was like oh man thankless thankless stuff and then also the way that the the Catherine Catherine keener from the past dies i thought it was so lame <laughs> i don't know like I, I i wish that the Catherine keener from the past had to make a decision and chooses to kill herself you know like uh or i guess her future self as a way of like stopping whatever however things go like I, I, i'm not advocating for them to like show a suicide in here but like to make some choice where like that character has some redemption would have made so much more sense than that character shooting a bullet that gets taken by this magnet and then kills her past self like and then i just like all the the timeline uh like repercussions i don't know didn't make any sense to me so uh not my favorite movie dave um any last thoughts on this no no it's all good you know Watch it if you want. I don't know. (laughs) All right. And wrapping up today, let's go to a different streaming platform from Amazon to Netflix. Now to Disney plus turning red. Uh, Disney Pixar's most recent film that they chose to drop on Disney plus. Mm. Um, I was a bit surprised by that, that decision, especially because animated films still do pretty well at the box office. Yeah, this is their third in a row. They've released straight to Disney Plus following Luca and Soul, Soul and Luca. And this had been dated for this weekend, you know, and then they 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 bailed with Omicron, which was a bad call because this would have been successful. The box office is returning to life and really you just need more product out there. And, you know, you're seeing like good holds. For movies like Uncharted, even while the Batman's doing great, Turning Red would have done great. Alas, it's on Disney Plus, the 25th Pixar film. So a lot of people get to see it uh, easily. And I hope that's the case because I think it's uh, I think it's a good one. Yeah, I definitely think this is a strong Pixar film. Probably not one of my favorites. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, Domi Shi, 
who's a uh, Pixar veteran, you know, worked on Inside Out, The Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4. So a lot of the more recent hits Pixar yeah. was it's been there about 10 years. And obviously, I, I think it makes a lot of sense um, being an Asian American and this being a or a Chinese American, uh, Chinese Canadian. Jeez, that's my, my, my bad. Uh, to Domi Shi, uh, Chinese Canadian. Um, and, and being tapped to tell a story about a Chinese Canadian. <laughs> um, definitely, I think there's a lot to dig into here. But Dave, overall, it sounds like you left Turning Red pretty impressed. I, I would say out of 10, I'd probably give this like a six or seven for me. It wasn't mm, one of my favorites. And yeah. I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to hear from you. What did you like? Yeah, so overall, I was just impressed with how nuanced the like core themes of the story of turning red are it shares a bit in common with a movie like inside out you know the emotions of an individual but i liked how how messy this one was and it makes a lot of sense because the story about a girl effectively going into puberty something also pretty new for uh pixar right but I liked how multifaceted this movie is thematically while also still being really grounded. Like, yes, the our, our Mei Lin becomes a panda when she is no longer calm, but the story is still grounded. It's about her relationship with her friends and her family and the, her, her family's relationship with, with other people in the family. Like I, I just really appreciated like how, much i think they actually had going on for a movie that's like pretty straightforward about a you know middle schooler uh i i really appreciate that and you know i think a lot of people have talked about like you know soul super existential not really for kids inside out easier for kids to watch perhaps you know visually but thematically still not really for kids this is, I think, like a much more accessible Pixar film for that, you know, original target demo and has a lot more under the hood, I think, than something like Luca or Onward, which is still movies I enjoyed, but not quite as, uh, I think, thematically rich as Turning Red. So I liked it quite a bit. I don't like it, obviously, as much as like they're like A1 bangers of the past. But, you know, it's the 25th Pixar movie. I think the fact that they can handle something in a more unique fashion the way they did this way, I think, goes a long way for me. So that's why I liked it. It, it definitely continues the trend of there not really being a um, antagonist within the film, right? Like, there's no bad person. There's no villain within this this film. And uh, I, I think that that's a, a great choice, and, and I'm glad that they're, they continue to do this because it just fleshes out all the characters so much more. You know, the conflict being a situation rather than a person um, is always, I think, much more interesting. I think what I was kind of left scratching my head about a bit, and maybe, maybe you can enlighten me your, your take on this. What did you see as actually being the bad thing about being the red panda? Why was that bad? Well, I think it's kind of the obvious stuff of like, you're this like big panda and uh, it's inconvenient as uh, the mom said, 
And also, the more it happens, the uh, bigger and unwieldier the panda gets, as you saw with the mom at the end, which was a brilliant uh, nod to like kaiju films and Godzilla (laughs) and whatnot. So I think that's kind of like the more, you know, fantastical element of the story. Yeah. Um, But at the end, Malin, you know, keeps the panda. Just like uh, Mirabella and Encanto doesn't get any powers. You know, they right. kind of flip the trope on its head. Obviously, Encanto is not Pixar, but yep. same kind of Disney trend we're seeing right now. Yeah, you know, so I, I would definitely buy into that being a, a conflict, except there's there's no repercussions in this movie for anything that happens with the Red Panda. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much only benefits uh, May in this story. May Lin being the Red Panda making cash uh getting yeah. to go see uh what was it four door four town baby four town um and yeah you know i guess i just kind of left being like i'm not really sure why they want they don't want them to be the red panda other than the red panda i guess can be scary at times because yeah. people get angry and uh, you know also kind of the the connection to uh you know someone becoming a woman uh, you know, getting the period for the first time, menstruating for the first time. Um, I think it was supposed to allude to like the mood swings that can come yeah. about when this happens. Uh, you know, the <laughs> seeing that as like a superpower in a sense, or some sort of like fantastical element, I think is like a, a nice way to look at it and a, a very like cool thing. But I guess I just didn't really see like in the end, like why the family really like was running away from it so much and it it kind of the conflict felt a little bit confusing to me yeah i think they just said that you lose control and that's what happened to the mom at the end i think that's supposed to be the the thing but i i liked how you know early on like you said there's like less con conflict or consequence than you expect but i actually like how they do that it's set up as like this whole like body horror thing like oh i'm this i'm this beast and this is terrible but then her friends are totally accepting of her and fucking love it that she's a panda now. It's awesome. And it's another, like, I think, flip of the expected outcome of the storytelling. So Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was wonderful. And that that whole like scene where, you know, they're they're scheming to make to get the money to go to C4 town and they're doing all all the pictures and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was pretty great. Even if it didn't make any sense to me that like, you know, May now has this power that they're trying to hide from everybody, but this is the time that you're like, "Oh, now you can go join an after school club because we're not worried about you turning into this panda at all." She convinced him very <laughs> I guess like she she just was like Oh, I need to build out this resume for college, but uh, you know, I also am a panda half the time. <laughs> Just uh, that that part didn't make any sense to me either. But uh, you know, I, I I I'm bagging on it. I think there's a lot to really love about this. First of all, the red panda super cute. Gonna sell a lot of red panda toys and merchandise for sure. Mm-hmm. Pixar again, just crushing. I think that aspect of it, but. Um, I really loved the dynamic with May and her friends. Like that is where the movie hums, obviously. Oh, yeah. And it's supposed to, you know, that that's where, where she feels loved. It's where she feels most accepted and understood. And so I think just the way that it makes those hangs so great. And those vibes are just on point. Fantastic. Also setting this back in the, the two thousands. Yeah. The, the demographic it's going for uh, the, my, my fiance soon to be wife was like, 
oh man, I remember all this stuff. I did all this stuff. I love, I love all these outfits. I love you know, like the way that they're making like music videos and stuff. It really yeah. like captured her in, in that moment. So that was great. Four Town is obviously supposed to be in sync. And I think even like <laughs> sonically, like some of the melody of like that song, Nobody Like You, it's like, you know, tilt your head. It's not far off from like tearing up my heart, you know? Sure. <laughs> uh, and, and really cool to see uh, Billy Eilish and Phineas wrote the four town songs and making uh, music that we want to listen to yeah uh i would say they're super talented what's 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 make a billy pop album like a true pop album fucking do it dude because i know they'll write the shit out of it um (laughs) yeah yeah i think that was my main takeaway is i just was like why where was this on the album like i'm listening to oxytocin on repeat just trying for any kind of drip of billy charisma no, yeah it's yeah. a lo- lot of charisma just not a lot of ear warming right. to it i also really appreciate like like pixar uh promoting from within domi she veteran she had made the bow short that accompanied incredibles 2 right after that happens they start developing turning red you know i think bringing that chinese family perspective in like an authentic fashion into your film in this way really effective similar to how uh, Coco came across for the Mexican experience same thing um, you had that really strange cinema blend review that got like trashed immediately where the critics said that because turning red was about Chinese character it was somehow like inaccessible to the audience and like the cast was like clarifying that story for all like Oh, that was like a really strange uh, comment, and they basically retracted that review since. But um, yeah, I, I think like it, I think it's important to see like turning red, telling that kind of like you know Chinese immigrant story in a I think a meaningful but authentic way. Unlike say like the live action Mulan, which did not come across as super. Uh, realistic to what they were going for and of course all what's that it comes down to who's telling your story so having domi she have this opportunity after being at pixar for so long finding a lot of inspiration and making this this film uh, i think that uh that heart that that, that, that care really comes across and you're, you're seeing that uh experience uh online being shared so I think overall, it's also important to note that this is the fourth Pixar film in a row that is not a sequel. You know, Onward, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red. The the Pete Doctor era at Pixar, after John Lasseter left in disgrace, that Pete Doctor era seems to be uh, humming along in a, you know, effective way. And, of course, we're going to end this sequel streak. This June, when Lightyear comes out, the Toy Story prequel we all wanted. But uh, the fact that they still make something like Turning Red, still make something like like Soul, you know, I think they're they're still trying to take take their chances and do something at least a little different. That, that's what I like most about Turning Red is it it feels like a Pixar film that's a different spin than what they've done before. And that's why I like it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like here. Also, shout out to Sandra Oh, who uh, yeah. n- nice to see her in this the voice role as Ming Ming Lee May's mom. And uh, 
you know, Ryan Lee we, is the dad from First Cow. Nice look yeah, for him. Definitely a great look for him. Um, so some some really good stuff there. Uh, also, Sandra Oh just I feel like needed this. She had she had such a come up when Killing Eve season one came out, and mm-hmm. was just in a lot of really great stuff. And I felt like had been kind of like middling, you know, with Killing Eve not being as um, and maybe not as beloved in more right. recent seasons and the chair even at Netflix, not that exactly. Great. This is just like a, a nice, like rebound in a sense for her. So yeah, good great stuff. performance is the mom for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think we're going to wrap up there for this week, Dave, next week. I usually ask like, what do we got to be listening to? But we're just going to go full out Oscars for next week, right? That's correct. 2022 Oscars, March 27th gotta make those predictions so we'll be talking about that so stay tuned hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and on spotify give us that five star rating we'll catch you next week yeah.